It is an honor and a privilege to share with you this morning. I've had the privilege of uh, serving this church uh, for at least 15 years. Um, how many of you were at Vista Grande Baptist Church when Bill Doddard was there? Raise your hand. How many of you heard me preach then? You don't remember that. It was in 1977. I was like 10 years old. Um, and Bill was going to be on vacation, and he asked this young college student to come and preach. And of course, he was really cool. He had a Corvette. And as a young college, I'm like, dude, this ministry is a pretty good gig. Um, and so I remember preaching at the old church, uh, and God has just done a tremendous work through the life of this church. So thank you for your partnership in the gospel with the Pikes Peak Baptist Association, also with the Colorado Baptist Convention, your giving to the cooperative program, Colorado Missions Offering. Thank you so much for your partnership to accelerate gospel impact, not only in our city, but throughout Colorado and throughout the world. Uh, there are 51 churches in the Pikes Peak Baptist Association. So we have 51 different expressions, if you will, of the gospel in a lot of different ways. In fact, Greg is a member of one of our churches over in Manitou Springs, Souls Church. Chris Nason is their pastor. And I'll vouch that you were in church today. I got you covered. Uh, and so um, we're just so thankful for you and what God is doing. Uh, Chris asked me to preach three Sundays in a row. I, you know, I only have like one, two really good sermons. I had to work on something uh, for that third one. So we'll see what happens. For all of you that will be here next week, half of you, um, Thank you for being here ahead of time. I'll just thank you for that. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. We sang a song earlier, and there was a line in it that said, when winter fades, we know the spring has come. Have you looked outside? <laughs> Obviously, this person didn't live in Colorado Springs. right? I thought spring was finally here, Jay. I thought it was finally here. And then... Yeah, that's right. And then all of a sudden, here comes winter. But I live in Black Forest, so... I'll talk more about that next week. I'm thankful for moisture. You know, we survived the Black Forest Fire and all that that took place back in 2013. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm just glad to be anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Um, this morning, I want to talk about risk. And I want you to show this picture. Uh, I think this is a perfect picture of what I'm talking about. Live like someone left the gate open. So envision this morning... When we leave these doors, somebody's left the gate open. And we get to go out like that. We get to go out and live that way for the kingdom, for our Savior, for Jesus. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go in this community. And you know what? That requires risk. How many of you have ever taken a huge risk? Husbands, turn to your wife and say thank you. Come on, I do it. Come on. Carol, thank you. My wife's here. So when I asked her, to, I like this out here. Jay, can we keep this for the next few? I like being right out here like this. Uh, tomorrow, I'm probably going to go and step right off it. Next Sunday, I mean. Um, risk is a part of life. Many of us took many risks when we were younger. When we get older, it's a little more challenging. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a fellow struggler. I, I like risk as long as it's my idea. <laughs> You know, as long as it's nobody else's idea. Uh, I took a lot of risk early on in life, and Carol and I took risk in ministry and doing what God led us to do. And some of you actually that are here were a part of that uh, many years ago. Uh, but risk 
is something that we need to learn to embrace. Since this is being live, live streamed, I'm not going to tell some of the stories I told in the first service uh, because those probably don't need to be repeated, but taking risks can be frightening. I mean, think about a risk that you took uh, that maybe kind of puts you over the edge. A risk that maybe God laid on your heart and it, it, it turned out really, really well. Sometimes it doesn't, but I want you to focus on the one that did turn out really, really well. That risk that God, the Holy Spirit of God, inspired you to take. Now, taking risks can also be frightening. Oftentimes there's obstacles. Um, I worked years ago as a swimming instructor and lifeguard at the municipal. And back then we did things called initiation. I think it's illegal today. Uh, you're not allowed to do those things. And we did some things. Uh, I'll just move right on. That There were obstacles we had to overcome. Okay, I'll leave it at that. There were obstacles. Every risk is going to have obstacles. It's not going to always be smooth sailing. For many of us, the most important things in life will, will, will never happen until we clear the obstacles. Until we get over those obstacles. And we take a leap with abandon. Not sure where it's going to end up but we're willing to give it a shot. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells a story about a master who challenged his servants to take a risk. And he establishes risk-taking, listen to this, as a necessary component of discipleship. God never promised us easy. That's not in the Ten Commandments. It's not in the fruit of the Spirit. He never really promised us safety either. If you look, you know, I work with a lot of young pastors. They, we want to be a first century church. And so I said, you want to die on the cross and get put on fire? Well, no. Well, that's what the first century church ended up doing. Here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus establishes risk-taking as a component of true discipleship. Look at verse 14. He says again, and again, he's kind of repeating himself, telling these different stories to his followers. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one one talent, each according to their ability, and then he went on his journey. First of all, let's talk about the word talent. Basically, here's what we know. We know it's a large sum of money. We're not always quite sure how much it is. So for the sake of discussion this morning, I'm going to suggest that one talent is $100,000. It's also easier to do math this way, okay? So it's a large sum of money. Some say it's a year's worth of wages. Some say it's 20 years. Some say it's a bag of gold, whatever. Verse 16, the man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So, if it's $100,000, the man who was given five talents was given how much? 500000 And he did what with it and got how much? I know it's hard. It's a lot of zeros. He got a million dollars, right? The one with $200,000 got how much? Earned how much? Four hundred. Four hundred thousand altogether. So the man with one talent, this is real easy math, <laughs> did nothing with it, and he got what? 
One talent, $100,000. That was it. He just buried it. Right? He just buried it. Okay, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five, five talents brought, over, uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've given you two more. His master replied, man, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So the master returned. He commends the two servants for their risk-taking. How do I know it's a risk? Because anytime you invest something, it's a risk. If you haven't looked at your stock portfolio recently, you'd understand, right? I mean, the stock market's all over the place. They had no assurance that what they were investing in and using this money, which, by the way, was not their money. It was the master's money. They were taking a chance. They were taking a risk. Verse 19. I'm sorry, uh, verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not gathered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, Okay. That's not what he says, is it? You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not gathered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the bulletin, there's a little outline. Two ideas as I was reading through this passage. Two ideas kind of came to my my mind. First, Jesus commended the first two servants for taking a risk with his money. Because Jesus, obviously the master in this parable is obviously Jesus. The master commended them for taking a risk with his money. Because investing means, as I said earlier, you could have lost it. That's the nature of investing. There's no guarantees. Now Jesus didn't say, what were you thinking? You could have lost my money. He didn't say that. Instead, he commended them. The second thing that stands out is he called the one who played it safe wicked. Wicked. That's pretty strong language. Wicked, lazy servant. Now, the man with the one talent, what had he done? Had he lost the money? No. Did he go gamble with the money? No. Did he go party with the money? No. And yet Jesus calls him wicked. Most of us tend to think about wickedness only in terms of bad things that we do. But according to this story, wicked can also apply to what we don't do as what we do. 
that man didn't do what the Master would have wanted him to do. You see, failure to risk our lives to the fullest potential for the kingdom of God is as wicked as any act of disobedience or sin. Let that sink in. Let me say it again. Failure to risk our lives to the fullest potential for the kingdom of God is as wicked as any act of disobedience or sin. We may not think that way, but that's how Jesus thinks. The question is not just whether we've done bad things. The question is whether we have done the right things with the good things that God has given us. Now, most of the time, we apply this passage to ourselves individually, which we can. But I also want to apply it to the church. I think of the church church of Jesus in 51 locations. Some meet on Saturday night, some Sunday morning, some Sunday night. So the church has to take a look at this passage, this parable. Most churches tend to judge success by their size. And so they spend the majority of their resources on growing the local congregation. Now hear me, growing a church numerically and reaching the community can be a wise investment of the kingdom resources that God has given us. The time, treasures, and talents. But what if Jesus looks at our unwillingness to send people out of our churches, send out our best leaders, send out our best servants, send out our best givers, and the resources as an attempt to sit on His blessings? Oftentimes, the church in America in particular wants to safely guard those resources instead of scattering them into the harvest so they can multiply. If that's the case, would He call us wicked? If our only focus is to bring people to a facility and count nickels, numbers, and noses. Where's the risk in that? Where's the risk? A a sending church is both costly and risky. You give up your best people. You give up significant resources. You exert and expend emotional energy. But we do so because the Master has told us to invest what He has given us. To send it out into the field where it can be multiplied. When I was pastoring, our church started eight different churches. And probably the most significant was the first one. In the first service, there were some people here that actually helped start that church. We weren't a very big church at the time. Maybe a couple hundred people. And we sent out 25 people up to Northgate to Crossroads Chapel. Folks, sent 25 people, that was a pretty significant percentage. And not only did we send 25 people, we sent some of our best people, Jay. We sent our best pianist. Dude, that was hard. 
We sent some of our best deacons. We sent some of our, our friends. We sent some of our, our, our best middle school teacher to go and start a church. And that was hard. One time a church started and I invited the pastor to come and preach and take as many people that would go with him. And he did, and he did, and he did. And a lot of people went with him. But we took some exceptional risk. Why? Because our job is not to hang on to what we have, but to give it away. Not taking those risks ensures decline. Every dying church I know is a church that is not ascending. I'll I'll talk more about this next Sunday, but is not ascending church. And I work with churches literally all over the country. Back to Matthew 25, verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. What happened to the guy who held on to it? It was taken away. Well, when we hold on to stuff so tight, God's going to take it away. The, The nation of Israel is a perfect example of that. When the nation of Israel refused to go into the promised land, back in Numbers chapter 14, they refused to risk. Numbers chapter 14, the people rebelled. Here's what God says to them. Verse 23, Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. Except, of course, Joshua and Caleb. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Contempt. God says, you treated me with contempt by not risking, by not trusting. Risking for God is dangerous, but not risking is even more dangerous. Jesus taught the principle of the harvest in John chapter 12, right? Those who hold on to their lives will lose it. If you hold on to the resources, if you hold on to your leaders, if you hold on to your influence, you're going to lose it. In God's economy, what we hold on to, we lose. What we give away, we keep. I mentioned earlier about that church plant. We sent 25 people. In four weeks, you know what happened? God brought us 25 new people. It happened every time. Every time we started a church, God would replace those people that we sent out. Every time. First principle I want you to walk away with there in your outline on the screen is the kingdom of God advances through risk. We see this throughout Scripture. David picked up some stones and he trusted God to knock Goliath down. David's best friend, I love this passage, David's best friend, Jonathan, he was a soldier and he and his armor bearer We're going to attack a garrison of Philippines up on this mountaintop. Right? Two guys are going to attack this garrison of the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan is sharing with his armor baron his idea. Hey, let's do this. And I I love it what he says in verse 6. Jonathan, verse 5, verse 6. Jonathan said to this young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. That's all I got? If I'm his armor bearer, he goes, Perhaps? You haven't heard from... What what does that mean? Perhaps. I'm not sure I'm going, but he went and it worked. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to 
throw them into the fiery furnace. And they say this, even if God does not. They had no assurance that God was going to rescue them from that fiery furnace, but they stepped in. Esther took an incredible risk when she appealed the fate of the Jewish people to King Artaxerxes, who, by the way, was extremely unstable. She had no idea what his response would be. And in Esther chapter 4, she says to her uncle Mordecai, if I perish, I perish. Okay, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to take a risk. Paul's entire life was one risk after another. John Piper wrote this, Paul never knew where the next blow would come from. Every day he risked his life for the cause of God. The roads weren't safe. The Gentiles weren't safe. The Jews weren't safe. The cities weren't safe. The wilderness wasn't safe. The sea wasn't safe. Even the so-called Christian brothers weren't safe. Safety was a mirage. It simply didn't exist for the Apostle Paul. Again, God never promised us safety on this earth. Too often we're waiting on God to give us a guarantee. And if He gives us a guarantee, where's the faith? Where's the risk? Planting, sending people, investing, going, all takes leaps of faith. Life on this earth is uncertain, which leads me to the second principle. Uncertainty is a given in this life, in this world. The only certainty we really have is that God is with us. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever we do, God is with us. I'm certainly not saying that every desire you have is a risk from God. Did you hear me? I'm not saying every idea you have, and trust me, I think outside the box. I had a pastor friend say, no, you blew the box up, Bill. Every idea that comes in my, he- my head, my wife reminds me, is not necessarily from God. Because I have some crazy ideas. But, uncertainty is a given on this earth. And sometimes the wise thing to do is to hide in a cave. David did that a couple times, right? He didn't fight the battle, he hid in a cave. Paul himself was smuggled out of a city for his own safety. Taking risks with Jesus means discerning, hear me, discerning what the Holy Spirit is doing and having the faith to join Him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews 11, I mean Hebrews 11, uh, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. 11, uh, Hebrews 11, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit speaks and leads us to a specific assignment and to take a risk. We need to take risks in pursuit of God's leading, God's calling on our lives. What is it that God is challenging you to risk right now in your life? And there's a third principle from this passage. We have a certain Savior for uncertain risk. Our Savior is certain. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the beginning from the end. He was in the beginning, as Jay read earlier. We have a certain Savior who loves us. And He walks with us. Back to the parable. What character quality separated the first two servants in this parable? 
from the third one. Why were they able to risk for the master when the third one didn't? Verse 24, Then the man who had received the one said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting what you've not sown, gathering what you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. In other words, he had a different perspective of the master than the other two servants. The other two servants didn't say that. Well, I believe the first two knew their master was gracious. And I believe they also knew their master was rich enough. If they lost the money, it was not the end of the world. Our master, our heavenly father, is rich enough to deal with whatever messes we make. He's just asking us to trust him. The first two knew that their master was competent. Every great risk in God's name begins with confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. God is good and He is trustworthy. And we can rest in that as we take a risk for His kingdom. Our God is so good and so gracious and so powerful. We can never ask or assume too much of Him. C.S. Lewis said it this way, The way to know you are living by faith is that what you are doing, God scares you. If it doesn't, there's no faith involved. So get comfortable with being scared. That's part of walking by faith. That's part of risking for God. We have a Master who not only has commanded us to risk, but also promised us that as we do so, led by His Holy Spirit, He will multiply our investments for His kingdom. We get to have eternal impact every day, every hour. So let me ask you, where do you need to take a risk? Where do you need to take a risk in your life when you leave this place? Is the Spirit of God leading you to start something new? Something you never even thought was possible? Maybe make an application somewhere. Maybe write a check. Maybe walk across the street to a neighbor and risk having a spiritual conversation. Maybe engage a co-worker. I was talking to Christian between the services about how God has made him a missionary. We'll talk more about that next week too. God has made him a missionary to reach those people that he's going to reach. I don't even understand what they talk about. He's really smart. But God's going to use him as a missionary to impact that part of our community. Now, to be clear, I've not mastered this risk-taking. I'm a fellow struggler with you. But what risk is God challenging you personally? What risk is God challenging me personally? What risk is God challenging this church? Maybe to engage a new neighborhood. Maybe to plant a church. Maybe to send a team to embrace a people group. Did you know we have people groups moving to Colorado Springs every day? We really don't have to go across the ocean. We just got to go across the street. Because the people are coming here. Or maybe we need to live like this picture again. Live like somebody left the gate open. Because you know what? Jesus opens the door. He opens the gate every day. 
Now, you may be here this morning and you say, Bill, I don't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I don't have a personal relationship with Him. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm talking about walking day to day by faith with Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, as your boss, as your CEO. Have you taken that step of faith? That's a risk. But you know what? It's the greatest risk you'd ever take. To say yes to Jesus. Say, I want Jesus in my life. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Before I came to know Jesus, my life was very messy. I'll get into that more later. Not today. If God could save me and God pursued me, He can save you. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, in a moment, Jay's going to come. We're going to sing a song. In the back, there's going to be uh, Devin, I think, is going to be there. Pastor Devin's going to be back there. Some deacons are going to be back there. If you've never said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Master, you can do that today by standing up, going back there, and having a conversation with them. They'll, they'll share with you how to do that. Or maybe this morning, you say, yeah, but I'm a Christ follower. But I haven't taken a risk in years. Well, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider a risk God might be putting on your heart. Something that maybe you put on your heart 20 years ago and you didn't do it. Or maybe He put on your heart 20 days ago and you still haven't done it. God is constantly asking us to risk for the kingdom. His kingdom. It may not be safe. It may not be easy. But by faith, we trust God. I want to encourage you to consider that this morning. Let me pray for us.